Hey, Kevin. Morning. How are you? Morning, Mike. Yeah, very good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. No, very good indeed. Yeah, it's nice in London. It's nice and sunny. A bit chaotic on the roads, but apart from that, it was good. Yes. Yeah, same here. It feels like it might be like the last week of summer, so which is a bit of an added bonus. So I, I kind of I take it. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. So this one, uh, we said that what we're going to talk about is kind of designing and forming an SLT. And this is mainly kind of probably more about the stuff that you're doing now and you have done in the last kind of six months. And then I'll contribute the stuff that I've done in the past. But yeah, do you want to just like kind of uh, kick off by why was this topic on your mind? I think it actually ties together some of our previous topics. So some of the things that I'm trying to do, which we did one about be the um, clockmaker, not the time teller in terms of like my own personal role. And we've spoken before about how do you break through that million pound barrier and that add a million pounds worth of revenue as a founder. Um, you can typically deal with most things and you have to learn and grow and basically wear different hats in terms of that role of what you look after. But I think as you approach kind of like 2 million plus, that's where it gets more tricky in terms of you just can't do everything. You can't deal with client comms and finance and new biz and marketing and HR. and It's, it's endless. And that's clearly not one person's job role. And even if they could, there's not one person on the planet who's the best in the world at each of those. It's hard enough to be best in the planet at one of those. So um, I think it's, it's that kind of natural evolution of if you want to continue growth, uh, as we've discussed before, you need to find things to delegate and you need to allow people to step up and, and grow. And then it's, it's definitely a case of, I like the quote, you can go fast alone or you can go further together. And I think now we're at that point where as a team, we can go much further together. But if I try and do everything, I'll probably do quite a good job. I have done in the past to a certain level, but it hits the ceiling. So just out of interest, just kind of rewinding a little bit, how do you spot the signs? So, because people listening to this, you know, if they're at like a million turnover, they're like, well, how will I know what my kind of, what I would call the kind of, you know, when do they become the rate limiting step? There are signals that you'll pick up. Yeah, I think there's a couple of sides to it. I think there's, one is, honestly, it's your own personal well-being. It's when you get to a point of, I'm just being stretched in too many directions and they're asking me for loads of things. Someone else is asking me for loads of things and they're all good questions, but you've, you've always been that go-to person, but now you're getting that from all angles to the point that you can, I've had this, I've had a day where many days where I might feel like I've done 99 good things, but I'm still further behind at the end of the day than when I started. Yeah. And I think to me, that's, that's a sign that you just can't do it anymore. It's not physically possible. And even if you could, I think it's a short-term fix. Long-term, you're just going to burn out and it, it doesn't work. And I, I think most founders, agency-wise, probably reach that point way before they do anything about it. And I think it's, it's just something that happens. You end up taking too much on as you win more clients and grow and then lose a few clients and then win a few more, et cetera, et cetera. It, the stress of that is strong. And I think it's, yeah, I think the uh, almost like the physical, emotional side of what that means to the founder, I think is maybe the most obvious warning sign. And I, I think the other point I was going to add is financial. It's, 
you need to be able to afford to bring in non-billable roles. In the early days, you hire people that can execute and do the delivery. Certainly that's how I've always done it is, yes, I've done SEO from kind of almost like the early days of SEO. And I, I know it very well and I've got great results doing that. But that is something that we can hire to replace. And actually, that's probably one of the easiest things I found to give up is the delivery to the point that I can oversee clients, I can make sure that we're getting results and I can repoint things in the right direction. But I don't need to be doing audits, doing keyword research on weekly calls, et cetera, et cetera. I can, I can phase myself out of that without probably certainly in the early days, you don't want to lose touch. But yeah, there's, there's certain things that you can give up. I mean, just going back to that point, I mean, I think going to the point about, again, if I was a listener, I'd be thinking, it sounds great. Yes, I'd love to recruit someone to do some of the stuff I don't want to do or can't do, but financially I'm constrained. So one of the things that I always said was that in order to do this, you probably need to think about 12 months in advance because if you look at your P&L and go, okay, when I get to the profit after tax number each month, my kind of rule of thumb is if you put a third of that surplus into a, um, a kind of rainy day pot, a savings pot for the company, not for you, for the company, then that over 12 months starts to build up so that for most companies turning over a million, you've got a little war chest where you can say, right, now I can start to invest in bringing in those new roles. Without that, you're stuck because you can't financially afford it. Exactly. And I think for most agencies, consulting businesses, professional services in general, I think your main costs are the people. Yeah, exactly. So that's what you need to be spending the money on. And it it's bringing in that different structure that just makes it easier to support you. And yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of just thinking about how do you have the right structure first in terms of the roles and responsibilities, and then obviously the right people in those seats. So just talk through the process, Kevin, just kind of, because people, again, I think, you know, as a listener, it's like, okay, so I've now got to put some money in the bank because I need to obviously be able to afford to bring in some new people, right? And I need to spot the signs. So if I'm getting overly stressed each week, that's probably a sign. The next question in your mind is, well, how do you do it? Where do you start? Can you talk through the kind of sequence of having understood the kind of context of if you'll get further with a group rather than your own, and you've got some money in the company's bank account that allows you to do it? What steps did you go through to get a leadership team? Yeah, I think just speaking from my own personal experience, one of the things that I think is interesting to me is I've run an agency before and the maximum revenue we've hit is one and a half million. And so in my head, it's kind of like, we can get back to that and that's fine. And obviously I've gone through different kind of like a agency split in the past where we've then built back up from a, a very low base. And so I've always known, okay, well, I know what that looks like and I know how to get there. So we just almost like follow the blueprint and, and do that again. I think the challenge as those steps unfold has been, okay, well, we're now at that point. So how do we take it further forward? And in order to get past that, it's, it's a case of what got you here won't get you there. So I think the sequence for me is sometimes, and again, I think this is too slow. I think sometimes you have that realization of, okay, well, we're, churning as much as we're winning and okay at that point i can't 
upkeep everything, all of the plates spinning in terms of client renewals, upsells, new biz, finance, people coming in and out, et cetera, et cetera. We want to make that as consistent and stable as possible and predictable in terms of growth so that we can invest in something that we know where it's going. We, we don't really want kind of like spikes up and down in revenue and profit. And I think actually when you're at a size where you don't have too many billable roles, it's quite easy to make profit. Certainly when I've looked and analyzed our accounts over the years, we've over recent years without those billable roles, we've been highly profitable. And I think you then have to make a step to say, we might sacrifice a little on margin in order to get to the point of we're going to take this further forward. So that is that building the war chest and being able to, we're still profitable, of course, but do it in the right way, where it's a bit of a leap of if you want to get to the next level. And again, there's a big if and there's, there's no right or wrong answer. You could happily stay at a million pound a year revenue and let's take that profit from, I don't know, let's say 10% to 20% to 40%, to 50%, whatever you wanted to do that. You've got to pick a strategy and do it. And I think for us, one of the big steps in the past, it was very much like we worked together on business plans and what that looks like as a strategy and where do we get to. And I think that worked for where we were at that stage because it was, it's definitely a, a clear plan and a route to where we want to get to, but it was probably more my plan and my vision. And then the team followed. And to a certain extent, we just didn't have the right structure back then. We had head of departments that were not really kind of the right fit necessarily. It would have been a bit of square pegs and round holes to then say, who's looking after, I don't know, who's in an MD role, who's in an operations role, who looks after HR and people. Like They're not, you're kind of talking about maybe a head of SEO, head of content, head of digital PR. So it's, the, it's almost like you start with the middle level of leadership and then you need to build up the senior team afterwards, which sounds a bit backwards, but unless you have investment, you're not going to have an operations director, a head of sales, a CMO, a head of strategy, et cetera, because you need those roles to be billable. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's step by step. And I think that sequence for us isn't finished. We don't have the 100% perfect senior leadership team today. It's a work in progress. I feel like if we're probably just under six months in, if it was perfect today, I feel like I'd be in cloud cuckoo land of like, this is too good to be true. But what we've done is a big improvement versus where we were beforehand. And then it's a continual evolution of let's communicate together. Let's, we, we've built a business plan together, which is now shared as a senior leadership team's business plan. It's no longer my idea. It's in my head that I then sometimes tell people, sometimes forget to tell people. It's very clearly communicated. But that's an important step, isn't it? I mean, that just, just that step of going from it's your business plan to being it's the leadership team's business plan. That step alone makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think getting the team involved in it, it would feel unfair not to mention Richard Coombs, who's done a very good job in just getting us together in organizing strategy sessions to say, let's understand the team dynamics, let's build a business plan together, and then let's make sure we've designed the senior leadership team that can execute and deliver against that business plan. Because again, we all know you can set targets. We could want to do 
10 million next year, 100 million next year. And that might be realistic, but it's only realistic if you've got <laughs> the right plan and investment behind it. So it's, it's that step of you, you have to make it happen. And it's, yeah, I think to get the team involved in owning the business plan is making that link much more clearly in terms of how we're going to get there. And then it's no longer about one person. That step, Kevin, of, so if I'm right, you hadn't formalized the leadership team before you had the shared plan. So what you did was you created a shared plan with the people that are likely to be in senior roles and are currently in senior roles. Correct. Then when that plan's ready, then you say, right, now's what, now what the, what's the structure? Because I'm always a big fan of you do strategy first and then you do structure. Yeah. Where are we going? Then how are we going to get there? Because otherwise, I mean, there's different ways to do it. I think good to great is definitely kind of, I think more people first to get the right people on the bus. And, and I think we had that. I actually, I think actually thinking about it, if we had the wrong people and we've tried to do this before where we've saying the wrong people kind of sounds negative to them. It's not. It's just that we didn't have the right structure. They were very good at their individual jobs. It's just we didn't have a senior leadership team. So trying to, again, kind of put those square pegs and round holes and build a business plan wouldn't work unless you had the right people first. So I think yeah. for us, we did have the right people. We then created the plan. We then made sure we had the right structure and we actually restructured a couple of roles within that and formalized what that looks like as an org chart and the roles and responsibilities. And then we made sure that we've got those people in the right seats. So it's kind of, it, it flows together. So thinking aloud in some ways, it is going back to that good to great. It is to get the right people on the bus first, create the plan together, and then make sure they are in the right seats in order to deliver against that plan. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think just that sequence is important. And it takes time for people to bet into their roles and to work out, you know, I know we've, I mean, another, another tool for people that are listening, if you haven't already, you know, doing a racy, you know, responsibility, accountability, consulted, informed, that kind of racy structure that I find teases out an awful lot of who's doing what. Yeah. And I, I find it's probably not so much a problem of doubling up in workload. I don't feel like we have that much of an issue as a company, others may do, but for us, it's probably more what falls through the gaps where it's kind of someone's responsibility or not someone else's responsibility and speaking purely from a founder perspective if someone isn't accountable for something in the business i'm accountable those are the types of things that it might not be my strongest skill set but if there's not accountability for those tasks it falls back to me because it has to be done and that's the sort of thing that i'm now being more conscious about writing down my what I don't want to do list, what are the things that I can delegate? And we might not be there on all of them. It might be a role that we need to bring in in the future. But I think if you, if you don't just look at kind of what are people doing today, but you look at actually what, what are the functions of a business that you need and acknowledge maybe even on that race that you have someone assigned as like no one. So it's kind of like no one's accountable for this. Then you, at least you're aware of yeah, we've got a gap where the gaps are and what you need to do and maybe who covers it for now. And you, your team will always grow and evolve. And it could be, again, coming back to the finances, it could be that you have gaps in that senior leadership team um, or the wider team that you know you need to fill. So how do you make best with what you've got, let's say, for now to the next six months? And then maybe how from the 12 months to a couple of years, do you start to really think about 
how do you how do you grow and and go um, and build? But yeah, finances definitely help because then you can make a call on okay, do we want to fast track that and invest in growth ahead of where we think we would be to get there faster? Or exactly. And again, there's no right or wrong answer. You make make a call on that, or do you want to keep the profit high and bring it in kind of as you feel is more a natural fit? So in in summary, kind of bringing it all together and the last kind of minutes of the episode, what are your kind of key lessons? So what are the three things that you'd say to anyone listening that's at that kind of million pound stage? I think the lesson is think about where you want to get to next. And it's, I think like we said earlier, there's not a right or wrong answer. Your answer could be you want to be a million pound, you've got to a million pound business and you want to stay there and you want to maximize profit or kind of whatever you like. Growth isn't always the answer. So I think if you want to grow, be very clear about it. And if you've got a growth plan, think about how can you best achieve it. And I think at that level, if you want to grow beyond a million, certainly if you want to go to kind of two and beyond, like doubling the effort that you're doing, unless you want to double your own workload, which I imagine at a million pound rate, you're probably working pretty hard. I think that's going to be very tricky. So then it's, I think the, the next step is very much... Yeah, kind of what we said, get the, the right people in, build the plan together, make sure they're incentivized in the right way to align with your objectives. You can't, or at least I would feel bad about incentivizing our team about how are you going to make me money? It's like, it's, you've got to be in it together. It's got to be where we have shared alignment as a team. We have, whether it's profit sharing or different mechanisms, I think there's ways to make sure that the team are aligned and rewarded in the right way. I think that's really important. And I think maybe acknowledging the gaps. So understanding nothing's 100% perfect and keep keep communicating, keep working at it. So understand actually as that develops, what is it that you're strong at? What is it that you need building up? The answer might not always be more people. It could be training of like, how do you upskill people in different areas that they're now going into a new job role, but they haven't done that before. So I think it is it requires investment investment in people, investment in training and upskilling and the knowledge. But yeah, I think ultimately it's from the founder perspective, it's how do you, again, kind of going back to that kind of be the coach, not the hero. It's how do you kind of get into that position where you can build the team to do the majority of the work and you flip your role from needing to do everything to building and supporting the team in a way that they can do everything. And then you're, it just feels like a, it's a much more solid business. So whether you're in a position where let's say you're looking to sell or you're looking to just build a great company, I think it's the same thing. It's you're trying to get all of the building blocks in place so that company is not reliant on a single person. It operates as a machine and it works very effectively. I mean, I think kind of like re- reflecting on what you've said and again, on my own experiences, I think the two things that I'd say is mindset. So what you've just pointed out, unless you as the founder have got the right mindset for the next stage of the journey, don't bother because it won't work. And secondly, completely counter to what most entrepreneurs and founders want to do, you need a process. You need a process to walk through so that you don't miss things out and you don't confuse people because you're about to do something to the business that will feel quite radical for quite a lot of people. So unless they can see step-by-step where they are, where they're going, and how we're going to get there, it will all fall apart. I think that's really important because I think you're right. 
you need a process, but the founder quite often isn't the best person to create that process. So actually surround yourself with people that can help you to maybe I'm generalizing and assuming that the founder is a visionary. That's not always the case, but I think in the majority, it's the, the founder's passion that starts the business. And then you maybe need to find that integrator to help to support. There'll obviously be examples where that's flipped, but I think if you can get people to kind of play to your weaknesses, then you're going to be much stronger for it, obviously. Brilliant. Kevin, I think we're out of time. Excellent Greg indeed. I wish I'll, uh, I'll talk to you next week about it. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks. Bye.